Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. This is the Busted Open Podcast. You can listen to the full show Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Welcome to the Busted Open Podcast. This is Dave LaGreca. On today's episode, WWE Hall of Famer Bully Ray and I talk about the lack of clean finishes in the WWE, whether it was Raw, NXT, or SmackDown, distractions, interference. We got a ton of it, and we break it down. Also, got to talk about the amazing documentary on the WWE Network with Liv Morgan. Why? Because it was real. And we get into realism in pro wrestling, plus... What's going on between Taz and Cody? It got physical on Wednesday. We talk about it right now on the Busted Open Podcast. But just let me remind you the week that was in the WWE. You had Asuka and Lana, and you had interference from Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler. You had Keith Lee and Lashley, interference from MVP. You had Orton and Style. You had the distraction from The Fiend that caused the victory for AJ Styles. Yeah, Candice LeRae and, and Ember Moon with interference from Hartwell. That one drove me freaking nuts because it's right in front of the referee. Like, the referee's standing there watching it. And then you, and then you have Kushida and Thatcher with uh, Thatcher getting distracted by Champa. You had Kyle O'Reilly and Pete Dunne with interference from what, who I guess was Pat McAfee in what I thought was a takeover quality ladder match on NXT. You had Bianca Belair... And Natalia with interference from Bailey. And then you had Murphy and Corbin with interference from Dominic. Like, what the fuck? Like, I, I, I get their different shows, but that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, over eight matches, bully, that was winners caused by interference or some kind of a distraction from somebody else. Like, my God. Can you come up with some other creative way? Or, I don't know, in the case of Bianca Belair and Natalia, could you just have Bianca Belair win clean over Natalia? Am I wrong here, Bully? No, a couple of points. Uh, all of the wonky finishes because they know a not, a, not a lot of people are watching, so they don't want to give away clean finishes. That's one. Two, Bianca Belair should have definitely beaten Natalia without any... Um, misdirection outside interference and here's the reason why first of all natty's not going to be hurt with a straight up loss okay natty's been around forever she's a veteran um who can lose to an up-and-coming talent like a bianca belair but here's the main reason why they did not need to protect natty did they protect natty during her entrance no what kind of entrance did Natty get on SmackDown last week? She didn't have one. Correct. What normally happens to somebody who doesn't have an entrance? They lose. So if you didn't want to give Natty her entrance, there's no reason why you can't beat her. Or let's flip-flop it. Give her her entrance and beat her clean. 
because it can help Bianca Belair. We're not sitting here talking about Bianca Belair scores an incredible win over Natty, which might have made it into the power rankings. May I, I, you know what? We might have seen Bianca Belair in the power rankings if she would have beat Natalia straight up. But interference. So listen, it goes on. I tell you which one really bothered me out of all the ones you you were talking about. Keith Lee and Lashley. Nope. Corbin, Candice LeRae, and Ember Moon. Yeah. Now, Corbin and the Mysterios bothered me because there were four different distractions by the Mysterio family. They basically cheated the whole match for Murphy. My God, yes. Like that, 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 and, and Corbin's supposed to be the heel? And not, not only that, but like Murphy's leg is on the rope and Dominic knocks Corbin's leg off the rope? Like this is well, the way the match should have been booked. Okay. In the body of the match, Corbin, let me back up. We had the backstage segment where the Mysterios are basically saying, Oh, it's great to have family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Corbin comes in, says a bunch of uh heelist stuff to the Mysterio families, Mysterio family, and oh, I'll see you out there later, Buddy Murphy. Now we're gonna get a match. Corbin should have been presented as a real heel. If Corbin and Murphy found themselves on the outside, Corbin should have turned around and decked Ray and then got right back in the ring. And then about a minute later, if he found himself on the outside, he should have decked Dominic and then got right back in the ring. Now you get to the finish where something happens and Murphy's able to catch Corbin, Corbin goes to put his foot on the rope, and now Aaliyah throws his foot off. Because now it's Aaliyah helping out her man after Corbin did the heelist stuff by nailing Ray and Dominic first. You see, it's a tit-for-tat type of scenario. From what I saw in the match, Corbin didn't do anything wrong. He did, and there's no history between the two. Did nothing wrong, no history. Meanwhile, we needed the entire Mysterio family to cheat to help Buddy Murphy to win. Who, by the way, Bully, two weeks ago, they despised Buddy Murphy. Now, I know that things have happened over the course of the last week or so where they've warmed up. But enough that you're going to help the guy and you're going to cheat to help him win? After two weeks ago, you despised him? And then again, if that was Seth Rollins, if that was a match between Murphy and Seth Rollins, I get it. A lot of history there. Seth Rollins has done a lot of bad to the Mysterio family. But Baron Corbin? And again, Baron Corbin, just like Natalia, Baron Corbin hasn't exactly been on a win streak lately. You couldn't just have Murphy beat Baron Corbin clean in the ring? It didn't even have to. You could have done the way I suggested, not just because it's the way I suggested it, It's but because it would have made sense. You never want a baby face to initiate a cheating or doing anything wrong. Baby faces don't do that, especially white meat baby faces like Mysterio's. So if Corbin would have done things in the body of the match that were underhanded, 
and heelish and dicky to the Mysterio family, then the receipt could have came on the finish where Aaliyah throws the leg off and she's she's helping her man. Makes sense. Phil, you know what? It plays into the story that's being told. That's probably the only story there. So it's like, okay, Corbin, since there's no Mysterio Corbin storyline, okay, Baron Corbin, you took it upon yourself to hit my father. You took it upon yourself to hit my brother. Now I'm going to take it upon myself to throw your leg off the rope when you're trying to pin my, I don't know, boyfriend. It's it's it it, it makes no sense. I actually felt bad for Baron Corbin. Like if again, if you're why. Don't, don't, I mean, this is like Radio 101, TV 101. Don't expect that everyone knows what's going on. You got to explain. If, if somebody was watching SmackDown for the first time and they saw that, you would think that, boy, Baron Corbin's the biggest baby face there is. The guy got harassed the entire match and the other, the other family that's, by the way, everybody's outside the ring. Baron Corbin's all by himself and he got the whole Mysterio family outside the ring. And they're cheating during the, the course of the whole match to help Murphy beat Baron Corbin. Baron Corbin's a baby face in that match. He really won that match. He got cheated. And again, if you want to say, well, the heel got his comeuppance. Well, where? where? There's no history between those two. And again, I get the outside interference. And I get what you're saying, bully. That it's a holiday week, and I mean, wh- whatever. But like, I'm I'm just trying to give you the reasoning. I'm not telling you that it's a good reason or done for the right reasons. I'm trying to give you a reason. But nine match. If the WWE had nine matches last week, nine, where there was outside interference or a distraction for the opponent to win, nine during the course of three shows, nine. That's that's ludicrous. Now I understand that you want a follow up story. They, you got to be like, all right, if you're doing that, all right. Like on NXT, the only the only clean victory on NXT on Wednesday was Cameron Grimes. That was it. Everything else was a distraction or interference. And the Hartwell interference in the in the Kansas LeRae Ember Moon, like I, it drives you nuts, bully, like. The, the, you know, the referee, this half, Hardwell ran into the ring. The referee's looking at Hardwell, like staring at her. You don't call for the bell. You don't step in between. You just let sometimes, it happen. Sometimes we get tweets and feedback from people who like, I can't believe Dave and Bully are spending time talking about these little things when the match, the overall match was great. It's hard to put over an overall match when something is so glaring. I can talk about a wrestler's athletic ability, and yeah, the match was good, and they hit all their spots, and they told the story, but the minute you see something like that happen, and you're bringing up the Indy Hartwell stuff, when it's that glaring, it immediately takes you out of the moment. All of the emotional investment of getting into the match and you getting pulled in deeper and deeper and deeper yanks you out instantly when you see something so glaringly wrong. And it doesn't have to be wrong because in the world of sports entertainment, we control every last thing that happens in that ring. So nothing ever has to be wrong. Nothing ever doesn't have to make sense. Everything should make sense at all times. There's going to be the once or twice where you have to use, quote-unquote, 
creative liberty to get around something, but creative liberty should only be a lifeline because you really can't get around something. Not what we saw with eight or nine run-ins or wonky finishes. Yeah, and listen, the big one was the ladder match at the end with Kyle O'Reilly and Pete Dunne. And I get that. Pat McAfee, I'm I'm guessing it was Pat McAfee had the hood on, but it looked like Pat McAfee. That makes sense. It feeds into the storyline. And I get it with Candice Lair and Ember, but if you do it multiple times on one show, you lose me. You lose me. I mean, I would think like bully old school, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. If if you're going to have a match where you're going after the leg, the next match can't be go- the, the the story centered around the leg. You, you got to change it up a little bit to help me buy in. So you're not looking at the same, you know, uh, conclusion. And that's what I felt like watching a lot of the WWE programming. Hey, everyone. This is former NFL linebacker and current Sirius XM NFL radio host, Kirk Morrison. And I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, Total Coverage. Each week, I'll be joined by some of the greatest minds in the game as we explore the hows and the whys behind the week's biggest results. Whether we're breaking down player techniques, game plans, or coaching philosophies, we'll explain the details that define our favorite performances. New episodes will be available every Tuesday on the SiriusXM app, Pandora, and Apple Podcasts. Uh, Yesterday, the Liv Morgan documentary uh, dropped on the WWE Network. And I and I and I kind of want to start, if we can, bully with that Liv Morgan documentary because watching that documentary, first of all, it's a great story. Uh, you know, you know, Jersey girl from Elmwood Park, gone good, got, you know, is living her dream in the WWE. But as great of a story it is, is as frustrating a story that it is because, like, a lot of what you and I talk about about creative and direction and storylines boy you want to talk about that being played out over the last three years and it's been three years it was in november of 2017 where she made her main roster debut uh with the riot squad sarah logan and ruby riot you want to talk about somebody's whose career has started and stopped started and stopped started and stopped more Man, Liv Morgan is on that list at the top of that list because it's crazy what her main roster career has looked like over the last three years. I think Liv Morgan, and we've talked about her in in the past, I'd say eh, past two months, probably more than we have in a while. Um, I agree with the start and the stop with her. I believe that they hit the gas on her when Heyman was back at the helm of Raw. I know that Heyman liked Liv Morgan. Um, He saw something in her that I think maybe some of the other writers don't see. Uh, I think we're getting a little bit more of her now. But what is amazing, Dave, is how the talent can tell stories on their own sometimes better than creative can tell it for them this Liv morgan piece was done by her exclusively correct yeah she narrated it and she did the she wrote it the whole thing so this is like really her story and it and and bully it's supposed to be a feel-good story it's supposed to be like again somebody who had a tough upbringing and was able to relive her you know live her dream but man as a fan watching it you understand the frustration that a lot of these wrestlers must go through 
the, the frustration that wrestlers go through is is extremely high and that's why no matter what company you're in you need to be extremely patient with wwe being the number one because the the roster is loaded there is there's so much talent between raw and smackdown and you would think with three hours on a monday night and two hours on a friday night that a lot more people would get utilized but that's not the case Liv Morgan has a great look. The Riot Squad had a great look. The Riot Squad weren't the greatest uh, wrestlers in the middle of the ring, but you don't have to be if you have a look and if you have personality and if you have character. Liv definitely has personality and character, and she definitely has a look. Just needs to improve herself in the ring. I'm looking forward to watching the documentary myself, especially after the review you just gave it. And uh, the struggle that you talked about. Uh, I know some more of Liv's backstory that I don't think she goes into in the documentary that makes it even more interesting to me. And maybe after I watch it, I'll get into it with you and our listeners on the show. But uh, from where she started to where she is now, I mean, that's kind of like, I would say she found the golden ticket. Yeah, I mean, I mean, she's somebody who definitely appreciates where she is. But, but really quick, bully, just like a quick overview of like you know her debuting on the main roster and to where she is right now, because it reminded me of some of the things that you talked about, even with like the iconics. Like, all right, a team is hot. Why are you breaking them up just for the sake of change when you really don't have anything for them? She comes up with, you know, Sarah Logan and Ruby Riot, the Riot Squad. Then they break the Riot Squad up. She gets drafted to SmackDown. So now she's thinking, all right, like, I'm very, and she's crying. She's completely upset at the fact that the Riot Squad is broken up, but she has high hopes being on SmackDown. And then she sits there for months, not, not days, not weeks, but months, not doing anything. And then if you remember, she had that match with Charlotte. And then she loses to Charlotte, and then she goes, you know, I'm going to be the real Liv Morgan. And then after that happened, they didn't have anything for her since she sat there for weeks doing nothing. And and you mentioned her crying when they broke the Riot Squad up. When you are brought up in this business the right way and not just in the WWE, I'm talking about being trained by a veteran wrestler, come up, indies, humping the road, paying your dues. It toughens you up a lot. When you only come up in the world in the WWE, you are a bit coddled because you're a part of the machine and they take care of the talent, but you're not learning everything that there is to learn but more importantly you're not getting the same mental toughness you're getting the wwe mental toughness but that doesn't really harden you there is no crying in pro wrestling you don't cry when they break up a team i don't care if you're a man or a woman you know tag teams don't you know edge and christian didn't cry when they broke up matt and jeff didn't cry when they broke up otis and uh and um, what's his name? Uh, uh, Tucker. Uh, you already forgot. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I already forgot. I should be crying for him. Oh, does it talk? You don't cry when they break up a group. You have to be tough because you have to understand that in this business, things can change in the snap of a finger. So, but from what I understand, the culture of the WWE, the backstage um, 
relationships that the talent have are probably considerably different than what I remember from quote unquote back in my day. But I can tell you, I can tell you from experience, I never, ex uh, I never saw anybody crying because their creative went in a different direction. Although I did hear stories about some guy named Vito who cried because Russo took, took the hardcore championship off of him in WCW. That's a story for another day. Br grown man crying about a, a championship. Um, so it, it just, it's not something that you do. And once again, looking forward to watching the documentary to see the context in which she got so emotional. And 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 really quick, Bully, and for those who didn't see it, this is just a good tease because I can understand it. Like Ruby Rye was even explaining it that they spent like every minute together, the three of them. Like it wasn't just like they got together backstage before a match. Like they really like they traveled. They they, they you know rent the cars, hotels. Like they were constantly together. And then you find out, boom, it's over. And again, this is all all three of them together just kind of started their WWE journey together. So I can kind of understand where it's like losing a best friend, especially if you're moving to another show at that time. There's not going to be much interaction between. So you're going to go from spending every waking minute together to not really seeing them at all. Uh, I, I, listen, I went through it myself, so I, I completely understand it. You want to talk about every waking moment together. Me and Devon were attached at the hip. So I know what it's like to be by somebody's side 300 days a year in the car, in the hotel, in the ring, in the gym, in the, you know, doing everything together. And then all of a sudden one day, yep, you guys are split up. Wow, yeah. whoa, what the hell's going on? But uh, shedding a tear, it just has to go, it, it has to do with how talent is brought up these days in the wrestling industry. Not only do you have to become hard physically, like I, I tell students that your body has to turn into a giant callus so that no matter what happens to you, you will feel no pain. But the, even more important than that is mentally. You have to become so mentally tough in this interest industry because you never know what's coming next. And you have to be able to just take it, handle it, deal with it. Case in point, Lana, right? Lana is a pretty mentally tough woman, a mentally tough performer. Be, having to do what she's been doing every single week we saw the 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 clip that that aired about her you know uh, with her in tears about being separated from from uh her her husband yep not this is not her, this is not like my friends in the riot squad this is separated from my husband who i've been with every single day and now i'm getting put through a table every single week and lana does it with a smile on her face she doesn't sell anything she doesn't sandbag anything and this is where the mental toughness comes in you have to be mentally tougher than they are at all times because you just never know what's coming yeah, and but I want to get back into it just for because you mentioned the one side, but I really want to get into the creative side because I was thinking of you because it's like if you're going to break up the riot squad, you would think that they have a plan in place, and a lot of times they just don't have a plan in place. Like if you if you have something that's clicking and working and gelling and there's chemistry, why break it up for no reason at all? And it seems we're getting a lot of that lately in the WWE as well, bully. The reason that they do it is because we need to do something for the draft. We need to shock people. So let's break up the Iconics. Let's break up heavy machinery. Let's break up uh, um, uh, the Riot Squad. 
that's great. You want to break somebody up? Awesome. What are we doing with them? It, yeah. Even with like Big E and the New Day right now, I, 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 uh, I, I know Big E and we're going to probably get Big E and Sami Zayn at TLC, hopefully get that Intercontinental Championship on Big E. Do I think he needs this championship? No. No. But it's like right now we're not seeing Big E and the New Day doing the same things that they did when they were together. Yeah, it's different. And and again, if we if you knew that this was just for a shot at the Intercontinental Championship, you would look back at it and say, it's a bad move, and we'll have to find out. Hi, this is Adam Shine. The Adam Shine Podcast is back for another football season. I'll give you my passionate, hard-hitting takes every week, including picks against the spread and fantasy football advice, all while talking to the biggest guests in all the sports, celebrities, media personalities, diehard football fans on a weekly basis. It's the Adam Shine Podcast with new episodes dropping on Tuesdays. You can listen to the podcast anytime on the SiriusXM app, iTunes, Pandora, and with Stitcher. Can we agree that the Roman story is the best story in the WWE? No, without a doubt. Yes, we can. I mean, and it's considerably that. better than anything that's going on with Drew McIntyre and Randy Orton and any of that stuff. That stuff is good, it's but good. this is considerably better. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's arguably maybe one of the best stories that's going on in the world of pro wrestling right now. And what's the one thing about this story that makes it unique? Um, or what player is involved? I just kind of gave it away. What player is involved I mean, in this story? You got Heyman. I mean, it's I, all Heyman. It's all Heyman. I Heyman is writing this, and if he's not writing it, he's influencing it tremendously. And people like Bruce and Vince know that that Paul is good at this stuff. And people might say, "Well, if he's so good at it, why did they take Raw away from him?" Sometimes it's it's difficult to book for the entire company. But when you're invested in one storyline, especially with Paul's knowledge and history with the Samoan family and the nuances, I've been talking forever about not using microphones in, in, in the ring and just picking stuff up on the, on, the, uh, on the handheld camera. They've been doing that a lot lately. And listen, any of the things that I say on this show about how to make things different how I would do d things differently, how I would make things more believable. Most of it is learned was learned in ECW, and if I learned it in ECW, I probably learned it from Paul. You go beyond the realm of believability to the point where people are scratching their heads and they're going, wow, this is, this, this is coming off really legit. Well, I mean, speaking of Paul Heyman, we started today's show talking about the outstanding Liv Morgan documentary. Paul Heyman is in that documentary. And Paul Heyman talks about not only about how he saw something in Liv Morgan because of her true real-life story and how somebody like Liv Morgan should not be defined to one type of personality or character because most people her age can't be defined and don't want to be defined by a label or one character or personality. But Paul Heyman also explained, if you caught it, and it's a magical moment in that documentary, Paul Heyman talks about, you know, putting pen to paper. And he, he makes a joke that, you know, most people don't put pen to paper anymore, but he still does. You know, having that blank sheet of paper in front of you, and then you create something. And then whether it's in the world of wrestling or movies or music, watching that evolve into something that people enjoy. 
That's happening right now with Roman Reigns and Jey Uso. It's it's it, to the point where is there other things going on on SmackDown that I like? Yes. But what's driving me to each and every Friday, what's making me look forward to why I can't wait for SmackDown is Roman Reigns. Now, if you went into a time machine and went back four years ago, you would probably hear these words and say, you must be crazy. This can't be the same Roman Reigns that I'm watching right now on my TV because it's not. And you talk about Paul Heyman and seeing this. Bully, this is what you said you wanted to see from Roman well over a year ago. You, when, when you talked about Paul Heyman, you talked about, you know, the, the Samoan ties that Heyman has. And it's being played out on SmackDown. You always say, Bully, what do you like in your pro wrestling? Realism. Well, you're getting that with Roman Reigns. And I get it. It's the WWE, so you got to wear the gimmick shirts of, you know, sitting at the head. I don't even mind that. That doesn't even bother me. Because even his shirts right now make a statement of what he is and who he is. It's being played out perfectly. A lot of times on Raw, and this is not a knock on the WWE. It happens in the world of wrestling. Where you have a story, it doesn't work, you get off of it. But man, if you put this much, imagine if they put this much attention and detail as what they're doing with Roman, as if they did that for retribution, bully. Think about how excited we were a couple weeks ago because of that, whatever, that flicker or whatever it's called, I don't know, fleet on, on Twitter about like the real stories of, you know, Mia Yim and Dominic Dijakovic. And we're like, oh my God, now I'm, I'm, I'm this has got me back. Where, 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 where is this on Raw? It's why, not. Why can't they do that? Where was the Becky Lynch, uh, Ronda Rousey animosity on social media on Raw? It wasn't. Where was the Retribution fleets on Raw? It wasn't. Where was the Liv Morgan stuff? Well, maybe maybe it'll be on Raw. I, but I, for the I, most part, we'll see. We'll see yeah. tonight if they if they capitalize on what we saw last night on the WWE Network. Well, she'll probably have a three minute match and lose. There are so many other things that go on outside of what we see on our TV set that are definitively better than what we see on our TV set. Whether that's stories being told on social media, little promos that guys and gals cut on social media. Uh, Look at what uh, Lance Archer did on social media a couple weeks ago. Actually, I'm sorry, it wasn't on social media. It aired on Dark, and I said it should have been on Dynamite. Great promo by Archer and uh, Jake Roberts. Lots of stuff out there that lives. I mean, I mean look at some of look, look at um, look at the stuff that uh, Cardona was doing before. You know, he, on on his YouTube channel back yep. in the day. All of these things that this is the talent left to their own devices, and it seems like fans are a lot more interested in this stuff. This is why the whole Twitch discrepancy is, is so big. Not it's not just the monetary reasons; it's the fact that it seems like fans like it when talent do stuff on their own a lot more because they could see their true personality. Like, imagine what I would do if I was the WWE, and we'll see if it happens, but I doubt that it will. If I was the WWE, I would put a live microphone in Liv Morgan's hand and tell her, go. Talk about your childhood. Talk about your struggles. Like, 
you know, most people are like, ah, Liv Morgan, you know. How about the fact that since the age of five, she's been obsessed with the WWE? Obsessed with Can I stop you for one second? I want to give you an example based on the, the very specific you just said. You said that if it was you booking, you would just give Liv Morgan a live microphone and say, go, right? Yep. What did Paul Heyman do with Steve Austin and ECW? He said he give he gave him a live microphone and said, "Just tell me what's on what's what you're feeling. Tell me what's in your head." And whatever comes out in that promo, the Liv Morgan promo, you hone in on what works, use it as your foundation, and then you build on top of it because it's going to be real emotion. But what if I cry? Good, go cry. What if I get angry? Go, good, get, go and get angry. What if I don't know what to say? Sit there in silence until you do know what you want to say and then say it. No matter what you do, do it with feeling, with passion, with gusto. Just make me believe. When I teach promos in wrestling school, Dave, I tell them that they can. their very first promo, you can talk about whatever you want. I don't care what it is. Just sell me something. Sell me on an emotion. Sell me on a product. Sell me on you. Sell me on a match. Sell me on something. You hand Liv Morgan, who has, first of all, she's got an incredible social media following. Yes. Here's a microphone. Here's five minutes. Go. Go get yourself over. You'll create a star. But that's just not unique to Liv Morgan. There's plenty of talents in the WWE. You hand them a microphone and you say, go, you'll create stars instantly. A couple will fall on their face. Yeah, true. And this is Liv Morgan. And I understand this is Liv Morgan, who not too long ago, it talks in about a documentary, was like working at Hooters. Like, you know, this is not somebody that, you know, was born into pro wrestling. It's not somebody that, you know, has family ties in pro wrestling. She was just a fan, but she was an obsessed fan. First of all, that alone, a lot of fans probably don't know. Probably a lot of people look at Liv Morgan, oh, this is just another pretty face that the WWE put on our TV. So right there, if I knew that about Liv Morgan, I'm a fan because I know she's just like me and she's passionate about pro wrestling. And then being a Jersey girl, you know, they tell, they say she's from Elmwood Park, but you never heard her story. Elmwood Park, to somebody in California, what does Elmwood Park, New Jersey mean? It means absolutely nothing. But if you give her the chance to tell her story about what happened while she lived in Elmwood Park, then maybe you become a fan. And Bully, earlier on, he said, you know, I talked about her crying about when the, the riot squad broke up. And you said, hey, there's no crying in wrestling. This is what happens in the world of wrestling. But you want to know something? If I heard Liv Morgan like I did in that documentary on Raw, and she talked about how she's now back with Ruby Riot and told that whole story about when she broke up with Ruby and Sarah Logan and and started breaking down crying because they truly were her best friends and they meant the world to her. And that's where she traveled and has all these memories with them. And she starts crying. You got me hooked because it's real. It's real. It's reality. That's better than any scripted promo that some writer can come up with. Why do people love this show so much, Bully? Because we're being real. 
I talk, I talk about my wife, Violetta. I talk about my daughter, Abigail. You know, we talk about our love for metal. We talk about stupid shit that, like, happened to us, you know, the, the day after or the day before or whatever we're doing with our lives. That's why the nation can relate to us, because we talk about our real lives. Boy, if they let these, because you they're not superstars. They're wrestlers. Don't, don't, they're not actors and actresses. Be, they're better at giving their true. I would think, Bully, you would know better than me. I would think that they would be able to relay their true feelings and emotions on camera than memorizing a script that some writer came up with 15 minutes before the camera turned on. A thousand percent. And when you hear me talk about handing somebody a microphone and turning a camera on and saying go, it's that simplistic. It, there is no bullet points. There is no nothing. Here, tell me your story. Go. Say whatever you want. At the end of that five minutes, we're either going to move forward with you or we're not going to move forward with you based on what you said. You see, you're putting it in the talent's hands. As opposed to writing stuff for them like Jack and the Beanstalk promos for Roman Reigns five years ago. Where the, where, where the guy got buried so far, it was almost impossible for him to come back from. Now we see the real versions of Roman Reigns, and they're, it's Heyman. It's Heyman. He is the anomaly in this entire situation because there's no other story across the board that has this real feeling to it. Who else in the WWE is as good as Paul at harnessing reality? Nobody. Nobody. Give them an opportunity, bully. Why do you think Cody versus Taz? Why do you think Cody and Taz worked so well the other night? Because I probably there's some real animosity between the two of them. When you are brought up in an industry where you're allowed to say what you want to say and emote your true feelings, you now learn how to curtail that into a wrestling promo. This is why when you hear Taz talk, it comes off so real. Why? Because Heyman allowed him to be himself. When Tommy talks and Tommy starts to cry in the middle of his promos, it's because Paul allowed him to be emotional. When Bubba goes out there and he starts a riot, why? It's because Heyman knew that Bubba could push people's buttons. He was able to identify the strengths, hone in on it, and allow those talents to run, thus putting a microphone in Steve Austin's hand and saying, say whatever you want. Think about it. Paul put a microphone in Steve Austin's hand and said, say whatever you want, and Vince McMahon said, don't ever let that guy near a microphone. Yeah. Now you tell me why the Roman Reigns story is going so well. Hey everyone, this is Lisa Ann and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, The Lisa Ann Experience. This is my chance to share with you my experiences past and present, including how I went from living in the fantasy world of adult films to talking fantasy sports on Sirius XM. Each week I'll introduce you to some of the people I've met on my journey and invite friends on to help me read through the endless ridiculousness that lands in my inbox. New episodes are available every Wednesday on the SiriusXM app and Apple Podcasts. Cody and, and uh, Taz are on the mics and they're jawing and they're definitely in character and they're talking about the FTW championship and all that stuff. But then Cody mentions Taz's son. 
And then you see the look in Taz's face like, holy shit, you went there. And then what happens, Bully? Microphone is gone. And Taz is talking to Cody. And again, you hear it, but you don't hear it. Is this part of the show? Or is this not part of the show? Like, are you are you kidding me? You you really went there? Like, you talk about adding to a segment that that little piece of dropping the microphone, like you talked about with Roman and Jey Uso, made that segment on Wednesday night. Cody and Taz, their verbiage, their tone, their inflection was better than Roman Reigns and Jey Uso. It was better than Roman Reigns and Kevin Owens. Now, there are things that are wrong with their segment, and I'm going to not... Uh, a couple things that are wrong. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a couple of suggestions here. But did... When you watch Roman and Jey Uso, or Roman and Kevin, it has a cadence. It has a flow, right? Yes. Do Cody and Taz have a cadence and a flow? They they did up until a point. And that, and that point was when he mentioned his son. And that's what makes you take a step back. That's when you start scratching your head and you go, wait a minute. You see, if they both start on the microphone and then Taz drops the mic and starts saying stuff off mic, you're telling the audience that they should not be hearing this even though they can because you want them to. That's where the cadence and the flow gets screwed up. And if cadence and flow gets screwed up, something must have went wrong. What the hell did Cody say that was so bad? Oh, well, he talked about his son. Now, we've seen enough family stuff go on in the past couple of years to know what the deal is. But Taz took that very personally because he dropped the microphone. Yep. Now, there's so much to analyze from this segment. There so is. much. Overall, off the charts. And Taz will bring the best out of Cody. Cody hasn't been tested on the microphone at all. Cody's very good on the microphone on his own. Taz is going to put a gun to his head. And if Cody was smart, he would let Taz put the gun to his head. Because that's just going to make Cody better, more believable, and bring it out of him even more. There are very few people on the microphone who make other people on the microphone better. Taz is one of them. When you hear me come on this show and you hear me bash Taz for a lot of the wrongs he does, trust me, I'm right. When you hear me come on this show and put Taz over, trust me. I'm even more right because I know what he's capable of on the stick. They should have never referred to Taz's son as hooked. Taz's son didn't come Bob sledding out of his mother's uterus and she said, oh, look, hooked. His name is Tyler. And they should have referred to him by his name first. Who the hell is hooked? Hooked is a gimmick name. You already got a gimmick name and you're in wrestling school? That doesn't work. They should have called him by his name. And then on a next episode, maybe we could have gotten his gimmick name that he would have adopted. 
Okay? Just like Anakin Skywalker was the kid's legit name, and then the Emperor said, Henceforth you shall now be known as Darth Vader. God bless Dave Prowse. Rest in peace, David Prowse, the original Darth Vader. The Darth Vader. Side note there. I would have called Tyler by his first name. I'm glad that it was only peppered in. Okay? And I'm sure Tyler will become a part of the story. What else you want to know about this segment, Dave? Well, discussions that we've had about where, you know, Taz was in the forefront. You know, Taz stood in front of a Brian Cage. And there were times where Taz was, for example, talking to Moxley where it's like, well, where could this go? Because the way Taz is talking to Moxley, the way he's in his face, this can only get physical. But it can't get physical because Taz can't get physical. Well, Taz got physical. On Wednesday night, he choked out Cody. So I thought I, we saw something on Wednesday that I wasn't prepared for that I didn't think we would ever see. And that was Taz getting physical with Cody Rhodes. If Taz gets physical with Cody Rhodes, what does the end result have to be? Well, Cody's got to get over on Taz like it's got if 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 you're gonna get Taz choking out Cody where Cody needs help from people from the back to come out and help Cody then Cody's got to get his hands on Taz if Cody never gets his hands on Taz is it a missed opportunity or failure or a failed story I think it's a little bit of both, actually. Like, because because if if Cody never gets his hands on Taz, well, then Taz is one. Like, Cody could beat a Ricky Starks, or Cody could beat Hobbs, or. But at the end of the day, just like a Darth Vader, like, hey, the the, the Death Star blew up, and all the 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 uh, the, the, the the helmeted guys, what are they called? The, the white helmeted guy, stormtroopers. Storm all the stormtroopers mm. die, and the Death Star blows up, but. But Darth Vader got away. So Darth Vader won because he continues to fight for another day. That would be the same situation here. From what I understand from Taz over the years, this is not hearsay. This is not dirt sheet. This is from the horse's mouth right into the whale's ear. Him being the horse, me being the whale. He's not capable of doing any type of physicality. He couldn't do physicality. He was no longer physically fit to do physicality of any way, shape, form. Involved in the Aces and Eight storyline in TNA. He was an integral part of that story and a a plot point in which he was the main antagonist on one particular night. He ruined Hulk and Brooks' wedding and Bully's wedding. But nobody ever got their comeuppance on Taz. Now, that was just because he was in a certain place at a certain time and did a certain reveal. This is physicality. This is hooking the Katahajime on Cody. This is choking somebody out. This is the first piece of physicality Taz has done probably since his last piece of physicality in a WWE ring 20 years ago? Maybe. 15 years ago? You know, whatever it was. Now, maybe physically he's better and cleared to do minor physicality. 
I like the fact that he hooked the move on Cody. But Cody has to get his comeuppance, and it cannot be against Hobbs. It cannot be against Starks, and it cannot be against Cage. He's got to get Taz back because those three guys don't hold a candle to Taz when it comes to generating heat. Remember when I talked about Taz being standing too far in the front? That was from a physical point of view. He's he's standing too close to the camera and everybody else is becoming secondary. Everybody else is now extremely secondary in this storyline. Well, I mean, Hobbs had that fantastic showcase, like I said, that squash. And as soon as that match was over and, and Hobbs is in that ring and he's holding that FTW championship, Taz, come, Taz comes off a commentary and he says, hey, congratulations, you know, a great victory. Go in the back and celebrate because I got something to say. Why so right, wouldn't Hobbs be standing right near Taz's side? Because now... It's uh, I, I actually I actually like this because how many times do we see Cage behind Taz as Taz talks? I actually like the fact that all right, hey, awesome win, go celebrate. Now it's my time to talk. So he wasn't standing in front of anybody. But again, I, I see. I I didn't mind. I actually liked it that Hobbs was had Hobbs had his moment to shine. Now it's time for Taz to talk because quite Hobbs, honestly, bully Hobbs Hob- beating. The enhancement guy is nowhere near shining as much as it's standing in the ring with Taz when Taz is doing his stuff with Cody. But here's the thing: it's he's going to get out. Hobbs is going to get outshined. No, he's, he's going to get outshined. He's going to get the rub from it. I don't know. Especially if Cody steps to Taz and Hobbs stands in front of him, and Cody goes, "Okay, okay, I get it, I get it." Actually, all of Team Taz should have been out there. When when Hobbs won, Taz should have gotten off a commentary and said, all of Team Taz, come out here. Because it's Team Taz. They are a unit. All of those younger guys should be getting the benefit of being in the same ring with Taz, especially if you're going to have the Cody moment. Let me ask you this, Bully. If if Taz is not if if Cody can't get physical on Taz and this is a big if because I never thought we were going to see what we saw on Wednesday, so this is definitely an if. Then would it have been better if Taz and Cody are having that argument and Hobbs comes up from behind Cody and chokes Cody out? If it was Hobbs that did it, and choke him out with what move? Say I I, I think you the same thing that you saw from Taz. Takata Hajime. Yeah, absolutely. Hobbs is already wearing orange and black. Listen, people, this is the Taz show with supporting actors Brian Cage, Ricky Starks, and uh, Will Hobbs. Trust me, that's what it is. If it's done the right way, you can make sure that those three co-stars never fall too far by the wayside, or fall not by the wayside, fall too far behind. When you leave Taz in the ring with Cody alone and Taz hooks the Katahajime on Cody, it is now strictly between Taz and Cody. And that's fine if we're getting a match. If you were to tell me we're building to Taz versus Cody in a um in some type of match, first of all, I'd be shocked. Shocked. Because I don't think Taz is capable of physicality anymore. 
by his own his his own words. But let's say that he's been, let's say Taz can pull a Mike Tyson and get himself back into phenomenal shape where he can get another match. Awesome. Taz versus Cody. Take my money. I, you know what? That would be the perfect world. But, but I, if it's I would... not, but if it's not, why did you do it in the first place? Why not give the heat to Hobbs? Can I go a little old school here? Tell me if you like the idea or not. If we can't get a match between Taz and Cody, could we do like an old school where like, hey, if Cody beats Hobbs, he gets five minutes alone in the ring with Taz? Sure. But in my in, in the world of wrestling I come from, the only thing that is going to suffice is Cody putting that Kata Hajime on Taz, whether that's tomorrow or in a year from now. It has to be the end result. There has to if 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 you're go, if, hey, listen if Cody's gonna Cody wasn't exactly a babyface in this promo at all. There was a lot of very like condescending things that Cody said. Well, he's the executive here. Don't uh, remind me that you're the executive while you're the white meat babyface. It's kind of like, oh, well, yeah, you know what? I'll run it up the flagpole. Hey, douche nozzle, you are the flagpole. What do you got to do? You got to go talk to your boy Tony? Well, that, that was his way of dismissing what Taz had to say. And that's how I took dis- it. And being dismissive is condescending. And that's why I was like, oh, this is because then when Taz turns around, he goes, what are you going to do? Tell me creative's got nothing for me. People are like, oh, shit, Taz got it in on Cody. They're in, they were in gray area right there. Like, neither one of those guys, to me, with the verbiage, was definitive baby face and heel, and that's okay. They blurred the lines. It was cool. Sometimes when you have the right guys who know how to blur lines, it's okay. By the end of the segment, Taz hooking on the, the rear naked choke. Obviously, Cody's the baby face. Taz is the heel, or at least that's where we're supposed to believe. But the baby face has to have his day in court. The babyface has to be able to get back at the heel for what he does. And if I can read the writing on the wall, which I've already read the writing on the wall with this story, I know what's going to happen. I'm not ruining it for people. I would never do that. I know how I would book this. I know what I would do with this. But Cody has to have his day. Because if Taz puts his hands on Cody, knowing that Cody could never put his hands on Taz, then it's self-serving and done for all the wrong reasons. And I've said on the show that I think things have been done for the wrong reasons in the past. If I'm Tony Khan, and first of all, we know Tony Khan is a fan of Taz. Absolutely. He liked Taz and he liked Jericho in ECW. And Tony is smart to have a guy like Taz. Taz is so, between announce and being a manager, Just his mouth alone, he's worth every dime that Tony's paying him. But we can't focus on Taz. We have to focus on the talent around him. So if Will Hobbs wins his squash, big deal. Taz comes out, puts Hobbs over, and says, Will, you stay right there. Because I want you to hear this, too. As a matter of fact, Cage, Starks, get out here. I want all the Team Taz out here when I tell the world what I got to say. Then you go on about the FTW title. Now I got all Team Taz in the ring. Now they're a collective unit. Then Cody comes out. 
Now Cody's surrounded by a bunch of wolves, but Taz tells those guys, don't you guys do a thing. You leave him alone. This is between me and him. But now these other guys are getting the rub, being in the same shot as Cody and Taz. They're not, ba they're not in the background. When Taz definitively steps towards a camera and leaves Brian Cage in the background, that's when they're in the background. In this scenario, just by being in that ring, they're getting the rub. And it's I all of Team Taz against Cody. And I like the way Hobbs came out on Wednesday. Taz was behind Hobbs. And, Taz should be behind all his guys. That's why I look at Hobbs as a much bigger force than I do Ricky Starks and Brian Cage right now. Because at least we're starting to see some of, of, of a little bit of a difference with Hobbs than the rest of that group. Because of and that, now, because of Taz in the background. And since it's a Taz, like, okay, so I see Hobbs in the orange and black. Those are Taz's colors. Well, Taz would say, well, they're the colors of Team Taz. Okay, then I need to see Starks and Cage in orange and black also. Yeah. I need to see that old school Taz look with everybody in the, you know, having the Team Taz jumpsuits. But when you just put Taz alone in the ring with Cody, it is now all about Taz and Cody. And if you're going to build to something with only Taz and Cody, that's fine. I just don't know how that happens unless there's been some turnaround with Taz physically where he can do physicality in a ring or some type of physicality. I'm sure that Cody can get that rear naked choke on Taz and get his receipt or somehow get some kind of receipt on Taz. Something has to happen. Any heel who does something to a baby face without the right payoff in mind is doing it for self-serving reasons. If you're a heel and you say, I'm going to... Uh, um, bully Ray as a heel. I'm going to put you through a table. I'm only going to put somebody through a table if I know if the payoff is the babyface can then put me through a table on the back end and have their day in court. Or the babyface is going to beat me in a big match. Or the babyface is going to beat me for a championship. Otherwise, I will never do anything on the front end if the babyface can't right the wrong and come out the winner at the end of the day. And the winner doesn't necessarily have to be the guy that hand, gets his hand raised. The winner is the guy who gets gets the guy back. It's just like yes, you said. No. It's just like Darth Vader. Star, Death Star blows up. All the stormtroopers are off, but Darth Vader gets away. He lives to fight another day, and then he's your again your heel in the next movie. Thanks for listening. Catch us Monday through Saturday on Busted Open from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM. Fight Nation Channel 156. The Busted Open Podcast. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.